brings us together today. I'm just teasing. I had to do that on a message like this. The Princess Bride, it's classic. What a cute video, right? The supreme object of the, the groom's affection and his attention and his love is the bride, right? I mean, we've all been there. This metaphor of the bride is so near and dear to our hearts because we're married. We want to be married. We dream about being married. We've been to, you know, umpteen weddings probably. We've all been there, and we look on the bride's face, and as she walks down the aisle, and you look at the groom's face too, but she walks down, and, and her, her, her dress is perfect. I mean, there's, there's no other article of clothing she'll ever put on that's as beautiful or as costly. She's done up just so. Every detail has been attended to. Her hair is put just perfectly she is the center point the focal point of the whole event right i mean the whole thing revolves around the bride you've got the bridal registry the bridal shower the bridal party the bride's maids and of course to complete the event you've got the bridegroom she is the vip she is the number one person of the whole day, the star, she and she alone. We all remember, we've all been there. The metaphor of the bride didn't just start in the New Testament. We've been looking at these metaphors, if you're just joining us, four metaphors of the church, and today we're finishing up with this picture of the bride. It didn't just start in the New, in the New Testament. God called His people Israel out of Egypt... And he promised that he would use them to be a light to all nations. He set them apart. He chose Abraham and he said, I'll make you a great nation and I'm going to reveal myself through you to everyone else. That's what God does. He chooses people and he reveals himself through them. And he gives them an identity. And one of the ways God identified his people and continues to identify his people is this image of a bride. And it's nothing short of a lover. You can't have a marriage without that. Now, I'm going to try not to make this a PG rating today, but when you think about this idea of marriage and love and that kind of intimacy, it can, you know, it, it can cause you to blush from time to time, maybe a little bit. But God desires this extreme intermingling with His people. It's intense. 
It's a union that can best be portrayed in our human minds, in our limited understanding. It's best portrayed with this picture of sexual intimacy and lifelong devotion, a marriage. And it started back in Genesis. Woman was taken from man, and Adam said, she's flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And further, the two shall become one flesh. And Paul, in Ephesians 5, explicitly spells this out for us. He quotes it, and he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. We saw Isaiah 62.5 in the video. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your name or name your land desolate, but you'll be called Hethzebah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the people of Israel, God's chosen people, likened to a bride. And we'll see more of that later. So all this to say, from the very beginning, God's desire, His burning passion, is for His people. It's that kind of, that kind of attraction, that kind of intensity. The imagery of the bride is so vivid. It's an illustration of God's furious, reckless, wild and crazy love for his people and now we who call jesus christ lord we are his people we are his chosen ones and this whole metaphor is going somewhere and it's headed somewhere yes the final and complete union of christ and his bride a wedding feast is coming but not yet for now we wait And we're here and we have this in-between time and we're here in this thing called the church and he calls it his bride. Often when I get on this topic in my own reading and I come across these passages, I sometimes get confused when I explore it and I'm not very smart so it may be easy for me to get confused but how does being a bride relate to me as a man? Have any of you guys ever felt that way before? It's like, I don't really want to be a bride. We have a... Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Am I really supposed to view myself as a bride? You can take that away. That's disturbing. I almost put an image of Dennis Rodman up there in a wedding dress, but I thought that was even worse, so... Part of the problem with our, with our American uh, Christianity is that we, it informs, American culture informs our view in every way of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's so difficult for us not to allow the prevailing paradigm of individualism to permeate our thinking. We are, we are a culture obsessed with me, myself, and I. It's about, it's all about me. It's all about my happiness, my satisfaction, my future, my career, my, my, me, my, I, everything. And we, we have the very deep-seated sense of individualism. And when we read the Bible in passages like this, we read me, myself, and I in 
to the passage. And so in order for us men, especially to connect with being the bride of Christ, we can't try to read a metaphor or a personal becoming of a bride ourselves into our own lives. It just doesn't really work, does it? And really the fullest expression of what this means for a woman is lost also if you try to read yourself as a personal bride to Christ. The fullest expression of it is lost. Now don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong on this. The principle of personal intimacy with God is of utmost importance in our lives. I mean, it is so clear in the Bible, in the Psalms, this, this intensity of this vertical relationship between me and God one-on-one, it is so vital, it is so integral to being a follower of Jesus. We have to engage Him with that kind of intensity and passion and love and pursuit as He does us as individuals. But in this case, when He's talking about the bride, He is talking about the whole church. His whole church. It's his bride. You know, it's like when we refer to America as a she. We don't then, you know, she's beautiful, we fight for her, you know. It's very easy to refer to her, America. But we, men and women alike, don't identify ourselves as feminine because we're a part of America as a she. Do you get what I'm saying? We We don't then you know, try to be feminine men, do we? I mean, I think about the soldiers and people who have fight, who have fought for the honor of America. It's, it's she, it's her. And that's what God is saying here. So you get my point. Look at again at Ephesians 5. So how do we relate to this? How do we relate to this idea of Christ and his bride? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So what does Jesus do here? He gives up himself for the church. He lays down his own life. He, he's, he, he endures the cross for the sake of his bride, to make her holy, cleansing her through the washing of his spirit, through the word of God, in order to present her to himself as a radiant church, the glowing bride all done up just right without any stains or wrinkles or blemishes or spots, making her holy and blameless. Now, it is one thing, and it is indeed a sobering and humbling thing to read this passage as husbands and wives, men and women, and see the incredible calling on us to, and the mandate for us, men especially, to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. But look at what Paul says here. For this reason, in in 31, 32, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I've shared this passage at weddings before. It's a great marriage 
passage, it's for sure, without a doubt, extremely applicable to our marriages as husbands and wives. But this is what he's talking about is the mystery of Christ and the church. So yes, let's rise up. Let's be the men and women to be the husbands and wives that we're called to be. But also, let's look at the big picture and rise up and be the people that God has called us to be as his bride, fighting and working to be what he wants us to be. The bride is to be presented to him without stain, without wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless and pure. So, are we the church that Jesus wants us to be? Whenever I read these passages and think about this and I ask that question right there, I get pretty uncomfortable. I get a little bit nervous because sometimes I don't really know if I have the answers. Well, I know I don't. And these questions are, can be very uh, indicting in some ways. What would a letter from Paul or Peter to the church in New Albany read like? A letter to the church in central Ohio. A letter to the church in America. What would that read like? Here's what Paul says to one of his beloved churches in Corinth. I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness, but you already are doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the servant's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Pretty indicting. The passages like this, and I'm going to read a couple more from the Old Testament, they're in the book, so we ask ourselves this question. We understand and apply them to our lives, and not just as individuals. And I I think when I share a message like this, I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because it's so incredibly applicable to us as individuals, isn't it? But it is also really incredibly applicable to us as a church, as a a group of believers, not just this little local church here in in New Albany, Ohio, but the church, the capital C church. What is, what are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to look like? What is staining and wrinkling us? What is keeping us from being holy and blameless? You may walk away from this and the one thing you remember is that he wants you to be holy and blameless. He wants you to be spotless. We know we're not going to get there yet, this side of heaven. But I sincerely hope that we begin to take ownership of the church, not as just this is my thing and me and God and everything, but we take ownership of this thing as ours. I belong to the church. Our church. So we do what Jesus did. We respond to Him. We protect her. We nourish her. We fight to keep her clean. The bride's responsibility in the betrothal period was to just, was to wait 
and be ready and keep herself pure, devoted only to that one man. And Jeremiah says some scathing words to God's people Israel. Read these with me. You of this generation consider the word of the Lord. Jeremiah 2. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say we're free to roam? We will come to you no more. Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. How skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. And right before this in Jeremiah 3, he's, he's speaking to them in the same fashion. If a man divorces his wife, she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Jeremiah's asking Israel these rhetorical questions, obviously with a poignant point. Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? There are all manner of things that stain and wrinkle our lives and stain and wrinkle the church. There are many other lovers that we get caught up with. Success. Looking for significance from possessions or wealth. We get caught up as individuals and addictions to television, internet, sexual gratification. Just go down the line. There are so many other voices calling to us. It's like in Greek mythology, there were these these uh, creatures called the sirens, and they would sing these beautiful songs, and they were beautiful in form. And sailors would would sail near their island, and they'd hear them, and they could be they couldn't help but be drawn in, and they went close to shore and were enraptured with their beauty and their songs, and then they were smashed against the stones, and destroyed and that's that's we have these things in our culture in our lives all around us these sirens what are they what's yours could even be hobbies i saw this little clip on america's got talent we watch that show with the kids sometimes they like it and uh, this guy was up there playing harmonica and he he played and then they asked him, or before he played, they asked him, like, how did he get into harmonica? And he told a story and he said, actually, my wife told me I played harmonica too much and she said she was going to leave me. It was choose between her and the harmonica. And there he was playing harmonica. His wife left him, divorced over harmonica. I mean, I could understand if it was a grand piano or something, but really, Harmonica? Actually, I couldn't understand even if it was grand piano. What are they? Now, we say, if I ask you, what's number one in your life? We all know what the right answer is to that, right? My kids already know, you know. It's like, well, Jesus. Jesus is number one. But when we take a real hard, honest look at our lives, where we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we really give our affections and our passions to, That's where our true heart lies. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
We have to ask ourselves if we are acting as a bride, fully devoted, fully in waiting for the arms of our one true lover. So I ask you today, I ask all of us, are there other lovers? Have you been lured away from this sincere and pure devotion to Christ? If so, then what do we do? We have to continually keep ourselves in that place. Humble submission to Him. Repentant. Aware. And one thing that I found as I was reading a lot of these passages, and I don't want to say this as a, a blanket statement, but one thing I feel like is at the root of this, these uh, tendencies to be lured away from him is this very simple thing, but yet extremely profound and extremely powerful, and it's just forgetfulness. It's just plain old forgetfulness. All the texts that we read, it points to that. You've forgotten me. I don't know. I'm a numbskull. I don't know about you, but like, I forget. It's one thing to forget like what time I was supposed to be there, you know, or birthdays or anniversaries. I mean, that's that's one thing. But for me, what gets me the most, what what uh, what hurts my heart the most, is when I forget the faithfulness of God in my past. I mean, I come up against some trial or some hardship in my life, and I'm all like, oh my, what's God, what's going to happen? What's God going to do? And I'm anxious, and I'm, I'm, I'm stirred up, and I don't know, life gets all disoriented because of this thing in front of me. But if I just remembered the 25 times God delivered me in the past, or the 25 great blessings He poured on me, or the thousand things that He's done for me, it wouldn't be so hard would it forgetfulness and we need to be reminded that's why we come here every week that's why we do this this isn't some like religious code and you check it off your list we come here to be reminded of the goodness of jesus christ we have the lord's table we have communion together and we remember his blood and his body his blood is spilled his body broken for us we get together and we pray and we remind ourselves of the faithfulness of god and we hear the word of God preached and, re- and we remember that it's living and active. It's real. It transforms us. We need reminders constantly. Forgetfulness is just such, it's like the bane of our existence. There are so many realities that we need to keep on the forefront of our mind. Sometimes it can get overwhelming. I understand that. But let's take a look at a big one that goes right with the topic today. It's directly related. As I mentioned earlier, the image of the bride, it's headed somewhere. It's headed to this wedding at the end of the betrothal period, the engagement. And that's where we are now. We're in this waiting time. And as much as the bride is waiting for the bridegroom, I love to think, I love to ponder this, ponder with me, the anticipation, the readiness the watchfulness, all those things, the groom is waiting as well. He is like, he is pumped. When I, when I proposed to Katie, we, we had dated for a while and we decided that we were not going to kiss until our wedding day. 
And so it was a relatively short engagement, but still, I mean, after, at the, uh, at the end of that, I mean, I was like, I don't know if this was a good idea. I mean, I just wanted to get my hands on the woman. For real, I, we know what anticipation is like when you talk about that whole arena. And that's, I feel, I, I just see Jesus just dressed and ready. I mean, think about it. He already thinks we're gorgeous. The groom already thinks this bride is beautiful. Or he wouldn't have asked her. He can't wait for the wedding. He can't wait for the wedding night. And then the pomp and the splendor of the wedding day, it just heightens all the senses. And she comes walking through the door. She's got the most beautiful dress in the whole wide world on. And she's perfect. And the music and everything is happening. And it's like, ah, you know. And that's the way I feel I I see Jesus dressed and ready, just waiting to charge forward to receive his bride, to wrap her up, to be united. The father saying, wait, the father knows all things. He knows the day and the hour. He says, wait, but I see the son. He's ready. He's going to charge out there and get her and get the deal sealed and then get on with the feast. Let's get on with the party. Look at Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. So if you're a believer in Jesus today, and even if you're not, this is what God is pointing to as our ultimate reality. This wedding supper, you are invited to it. We're there as his bride and his party. And this is after the marriage has been consecrated. This is nothing short of the pinnacle of all of human history. The full redemption of the church. This is, I mean, this is it. This is big time. The full redemption, the unhindered, complete union of the people of God, the bride, with their supreme love, Jesus, the Lamb, Do you remember that? Do you think about that? Do you ponder it once in a while or even daily? Do you see Jesus as passionate like that for his bride? Do you remember that he's going to come back and establish his rule and authority in the new heavens and new earth? You know, sometimes I read Revelation And I I think this is like crazy. It's like a fairy tale almost. It's so astounding and so wonderful and so perfect and so complete. The reality is that it is not. The angel says to John in his vision, write it down. These are the true words of God. 
And we know it's a true story in our hearts. The Spirit confirms it to us. We know this is where it's headed. God has already clued us in on the end of the story. And we win. And we get to be with Him forever and ever. In heaven. In glorified bodies. What in the world is that going to be like? Wow. In Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It's a new order. Everything's different. It's changed. That which is wrong right now in this waiting period will be made right. The injustices will be dealt with completely. The frustration of creation is going to be canceled. The problems that I have in my relationships, they're, they're no more. The pain, the suffering, the brokenness of this body, the, the healing, all that stuff... It's, it's all done. It's completed. It is the full realization of God's redemptive plan for human history right then. All of the brokenness of all of creation will be dealt with. Finally, restored and renewed. Man, that is cool. So what? That's always my question. So what? I'm going to ask the band to come on up and get ready. We're going to wrap up here. But for me, a lot of following Jesus is, in this meantime, in this waiting period, is about remembering the realities of what is to come. It's about remembering what is going to happen. What we have been set apart for. And then getting in line with what will be. What is actuality. Living out our ultimate destiny right now. God has chosen us. He's chosen you for His purposes to reveal His glory to the, to the whole earth. He's put us together in a church in order to reveal Him to the, all the nations. Every tribe and tongue. That's our destiny and it starts right now. Eternal life starts today. It, it, we get this idea in our, our ideas that like, man, this just stinks and I can't wait to get to heaven. I'll walk through those pearly gates and everything is good. Well, for sure, we're not going to experience the fullness of that redemption, but eternal life starts now. It starts today. Fighting then for the beauty and the purity of God's amazing bride is what we are called to do. We live for it. It consumes us as brothers and sisters as family, his precious body on the earth, fighting for the restoration of men and women to God as brothers and sisters in God's army. Living out his will in relationship with others as true brothers and sisters in his family. 
Not worrying about jockeying for position or having the right gifts or the right talents or whatever in this thing called the body, which has been so amazingly and beautifully orchestrated and put together by God himself. And rejoicing in his extreme passion and love for his bride and celebrating her beauty and her her holiness. So what? It's his will for us. It's his joy for us. The most extreme satisfaction and pleasure that we can have as human beings is to be in line with God's plan and purpose for our lives. His will. And I'm not even talking about whether or not you should live in this place or take this job or go to that school or buy this thing or that thing. That's all something else. I'm talking about just what we know is what He wants us to be like. Love one another as Christ loved you. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, if I could get that down, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. But His desire for us is to be in line with who He has created us to be and what He has set forth for us. His purpose for our life. Would you please stand? So now what I want to do is we're just waiting on the Lord and listening for what He might say. I want to remember right now. Can you just imagine? I want to ponder And I want to give thanks and praise to God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, three in one. Thanks and praise to Him for who He is, for what He has in store for us, for what He's already done, and for what He has planned for us. Lifting our hearts, lifting our voices, getting in line with what will be when we all gather at that wedding feast with all the saints from all time. This is a great mass of people. Those who have been called out, the church, all together in one place for all eternity. With all of God's angels, all in one voice, before the throne of God, singing, shouting, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Jesus, we adore you, our King and our Lord and our Savior, our husband, our bridegroom. Lord, there really are not songs beautiful enough or lyrics clever enough or sermons crafted enough or service devoted enough or selfless enough to give you the honor and the praise that you deserve. You are so high above us. You are so holy, so wonderful, so beautiful. God, but to the best of our ability, we offer ourselves to you. Living sacrifices to you giving our devotion and our affection and, and, and our time and energy and 
resources to you for your purposes. God, help us by your grace in the, in the ministry and conviction and comfort of the Holy Spirit to give you everything. Make us your people, pure, holy, blameless before you, ready for you, watching and waiting for your return, encouraging each other with these words daily, meeting together, remembering Jesus Christ. By your grace, God, make us your army, your family, your body, your bride, your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you know, when when, uh, we have messages like that and we talk about things that may be gripping you or holding on to you, if you have something you feel like you just can't get over, we have people down here that you can pray with. I want to encourage you to just come forward. Even if you want to continue just to worship the Lord, the band will play for a, a minute or two here and You can come and kneel down, whatever you want to do to just offer yourself to the Lord. But thank you for being here this week. Let's be His church. Amen? All right. See you next week.